Good plan. Good plan. Who thought of this one? You're listening to the Out of Sanctum podcast. Here is a moment in time in the history of the AFL. In from the side, Houghton. She was surrounded by blue jumpers. Bounce on its point. Wow. The fates, the gods are with the gods. Sanctum, where finals have got us by the short and curlies. We are your football-loving lady friends who talk about all things to do with AFL. And today we are one short man short with Nicole Hayes (laughs) in the USA as our USA correspondent. But joining us, I am very pleased to welcome one Felicity Race. How are you? I'm good. I think I just got away with singing. Oh, you did. Oh, you yeah. didn't notice, so you no. didn't like our cut me off there. Did. <laughs> I did see Alicia put her head in her hand, so I thought it was the song choice, but it was probably it your me. dulcet Sorry, tones. Sorry, everybody. How mm. are you, Dr. Kate Sear? I'm good, thanks. My left ear is still ringing from listening to Felicity <laughs> sing, but uh, otherwise, I'm good. <laughs> Hello, Lucy Race. Hello. Oh, you're so husky, it hurts. I'm happy to be here, but I'm quo, quo, quoky. Sure are. Oh, you've been feeling a little hoarse. <laughs> That's awkward. Save it for spring racing. How are you, Alicia, sometimes? Look, I've got to be honest with you girls. I'm pumped. (laughs) (laughs) The surprises are coming thick and fast this morning. Um, We are so pleased to be with you and I think we're all feeling a little hyper because there's only a few days to go until Mm. the ultimate is decided and we know who Sophie Monk will choose on the... No, just joking. <laughs> yeah, I'm tricking. I'm tricking. It is almost uh, prelim time. We're very excited. But as comes with all finals football, the omens are also coming at us at a great rate mm. of knots. So for Omen Watch, for the second last time mm. of the year, Dr. Kate Sear. Thanks, Sam. So, yeah, it's preliminary final week and I wanted to talk about preliminary final omens, which I'm going to come to. But thanks to everybody who's been sending in uh, their omens. A lot of our listeners have been noticing omens scattered around the universe that um, perhaps signal who it is that's going to win the prelim this week and go through to the grand final. One of those was our listener, Anna. She tweeted, her five-year-old daughter had woken up at midnight saying that she could see what appeared to be the shadow of a tiger on the roof in her bedroom. And Anna wondered, was this a good omen or a bad omen? My view was that it was a good one because I think sometimes when you see the mascot for your team, you know, a friend of mine saw a hawk flying over his backyard in the prelim final week when Hawthorne went on to win the grand final a couple of years in a row. But it's also a bit of a disadvantage because if you go for somebody like the Giants, it's unlikely that you're going to see the actual... (laughs) Giant. And also the power have an unfair advantage because I walk past PowerPoints in my house constantly. <laughs> yeah. But I'm just wondering which clubs should rename themselves the Seagulls. Oh, That's yeah. true. They're just everywhere. That's true. The pigeons. Yeah, everywhere. <laughs> Maybe it should be the Port Pigeons instead of Port Power. Mm, nice. um, but anyway, it got me thinking a lot about about <clears throat> seeing things in the universe that, that tell you that you're that your team's going to win. And so I wanted to share what is a, a real story, I promise, a real story of something that happened to me in preliminary final week in 2013. And this is partly where my absolute commitment to a belief in omens comes from. 
So strap in. Strap yourselves in, <laughs> as Ross Lyon would say. So when Hawthorne won the premiership in 2008, that was the 10th time that Hawthorne had won the flag. And there was a lot of anticipation and excitement about the possibility that this would be the beginning of a bit of a dynasty because the team was quite young. And then, as we'll all remember, Hawthorne went on to miss the finals in 2009 and they didn't make the grand final in 2010 or 11. They made it in 2012 and lost. Um, so it actually looked like it wasn't going very well for Hawthorne. But through all those years after 2008, my friend Zare and I referred to the next premiership that we hoped Hawthorne might win as Legs 11 because it would be the 11th premiership and that was our nickname for it. So we would say, do you think this year is going to be the year Legs 11? So fast forward 2013, it's the afternoon of the preliminary final when Hawthorne is about to play Geelong and I'm on my way to the ground in my car, extremely nervous because the Kennet curse was still unbroken at that stage. And I kid you not, I'm driving to the ground. I turn into, I think it was Swan Street in Richmond. And the car in front of me, the number plate of that car was Legs 11. Stop it. Ooh. Get out. I kid you not. How so, have we not noticed? Did you just squeeze? I saved it. I actually... Just, I actually couldn't breathe. I, I, I was, I actually couldn't breathe. I thought, oh my god, here it is. I got out of my car. I parked. I walked to the ground. Hawthorne broke the Kennett's curse, and the next oh. week we won. We won legs wow. eleven. So I say this to our listeners that it does happen. Dreams do come true, and omens, <laughs> omens are out there. Wow. And in this preliminary final week, I hope um, that you've seen some of your omens. I just want to say they don't call me Kate Sear no. for nothing. No, it's you not. Know? It's not going unnoticed. Yeah. and you're a doctor of being a seer as well. <laughs> That's right. I am the prophet. That I, is. I saw true. someone else send us an omen or a question this week about. They were halfway through an exam and the ink yes. ran out in their Richmond pen and they yes. wanted to know what did that mean and I think we all just looked at each other and went, hmm. It wasn't a good sign. I don't think that's a good view. sign. Mm. Don't want to know. Mm. Mm. Okay, so there were some games that we watched last weekend and we don't want to, you know, harp on about things that have happened in the past because everyone seems to have moved beyond it but I have to say it was the first time ever that I have gone to bed at three-quarter time of a final Mm. I couldn't have been more wrong as well because I came out hard and said the Swans have got this purely based on their anthem stance. I went live with it on Twitter, yeah. got some traction. People were interested and then I was so wrong. I was, I've was i never been more wrong. I was the wrongest of the wrong. And, and it's interesting because there has been some talk about anthem stance. Chris Scott came out this week and said, of the cats, we are not linkers. Yeah. So I don't want anyone to be under any misconceptions yeah. that there will be any linking happening uh, by the cats. There will be no linking. I can confirm, however, that we are linkers here <laughs> yeah. at the Outer Sanctum. We're all linked we arms linkers. at the moment. Mm. We've all got linked arms. And I've got an issue because I had a, a ticketing issue and didn't manage to get tickets for the people I would have gone to the preliminary final with this weekend. So I'm actually going by myself, which is the first time I think I'm going to a football game by myself on Saturday. So whoever I end up sitting next to, I hope you're nice to me. Oh, um, yeah, oh, brother. <laughs> At like least it's not my own myself. team, so I should be quiet. Yeah. But I am quite used to linking arms with my sisters and singing the national anthem before a final. Mm. So I'm going to have to be linking with some strangers. Mm. That's okay. Just ask first. Okay. That is good advice. It is. Yeah. And for anyone 
who is next to Lucy, make sure you have the antisocial number in your phone. <laughs> because we are. Well, we you know, keep her in check. We keep much, her in check. We? And yeah, yeah, we exactly. just keep feeding her pies. <laughs> <laughs> so sorry about that. Okay, some massive stuff that happened yesterday at AFL House. And we want to talk about what's been going on at AFL House and around the marriage equality debate or discussion. But we also are very mindful that we want to be very respectful of people that this affects personally. I just wanted to firstly put out this and say that the AFL cops a lot of criticism for standing up for and getting involved in social issues. But I just wanted to draw attention to the fact that the AFL is very, very protective of their brand. And for them to change their logo and to give space on the football that will be used this weekend, which is the key place where sponsors and sponsorship money goes, I think is one of the biggest outpourings I have ever seen and one of the biggest messages of support that that they could have possibly made and it blew my tiny mind. And we've seen variation of responses by clubs, but I think that the AFL have potentially listened and taken on board that people want them to lead in want them to lead social change. A lot of people don't want them to and and I would <clears throat> imagine that those people are probably not listening to this podcast. <laughs> but I think People um, have put pressure on the AFL and the AFL has listened and they've said we are going to stand for something and this is what we're going to stand for right now. Lucy. I think, you know, one of the things that's been really interesting is that there's been a spectrum of responses from the AFL and then across a number of, of different clubs. And, you know, across that spectrum, we've seen really strong statements in support um, to some statements are that seem a little bit more like sitting on the fence, a bit more equivocal um, through to clubs who haven't actually made any statement at this point. For me, what I'm trying to do is shelve that traditional footy tribalism and look at the weight of numbers. So, you know, people have said, you know, would I have liked Hawthorne to come out with a strong statement of support? Absolutely, I would have. And I am disappointed that the statement that they've made so far hasn't been a strong statement of support. But I am buoyed by what I'm seeing from the other clubs and I am looking at to clubs like Collingwood who I would never normally look to to, to speak to me on, on certain issues and I take a lot of joy from seeing their very strong stance of support and I think what I'm left with is, is that sense that there are some clubs that are a lot further down this path and have gone a lot into this conversation with a lot more depth than others but I think it's important that the conversation continues. The other thing that I don't think should ever be lost in any of this is for people who might be so disappointed with Carlton's response, don't let that take away from seeing Darcy V outside AFL House um, smiling and holding a football that says yes on it. And, you know, for, for Hawthorne supporters, I know that that meant a lot to see Alistair Clarkson out there. Yeah. I mean, what sort of circles around this debate as well, Lucy, which also circles around many other debates about the relationship between the AFL and sort of what, what's always referred to as politics, is this question about whether sporting organisations should ever engage in political debates and, and whether individual athletes, people like Lumumba, who we've spoken about in previous weeks, or Adam Goods in years gone by, should be bringing politics into sport. And I've seen so much chatter about that on social media this week. I've seen some media discussion about it. And I, I want to say something about that because I feel really strongly about that issue 
sport is always already political because it's made up of humans whose lives are always already inherently political. People who are from diverse backgrounds, diverse sexualities, race and so on, who experience things, may have experienced homophobia or racism in years gone by, who may continually be experiencing it, who may be you know, copying fan abuse, etc. And, and so forth. And there is a segment of the population and a segment of the mainstream media who frequently request that people refrain from bringing politics into sport. And what I want to say about that is that that is itself a political statement. It Mm. always is a political statement by asking people to keep quiet, to refrain from speaking up, talking about their own lived experiences, talking about things that affect them and so on. You are asking them to do something political through omission. And I find it frustrating that that debate continues and has as I said, kind of sat around the same-sex marriage debate this week. And regardless of your position on marriage equality, I think we all need to respect the fact that both speaking out and doing nothing is a political act. And um, sporting organisations, I think, I hope, are on the side of coming out and, and, and supporting marriage equality. Well, the AFL have shown leadership and that's so true. And one thing that is obvious to everyone, the yes vote is about inclusivity. It's about consideration. It's about feelings. It's about a a very real thing for a lot of people. The no vote is only a personal opinion. It is about what affects you and your feelings. So one is very small. It's very micro. One's very macro. And I think it was a no brainer for the AFL to go there. Yeah. I read something really interesting this week about that discussion about whether sporting organisations or sports people should make political comments. And the author was saying, well, if you say that if you're a sports person, you can't make a political statement, or if you're a musician, you can't make a political or an statement, actor. or if you're a business person, you stick to business, all we're left with is politicians making political <laughs> statements. <laughs> and where's the where's the community debate? Because you and I don't have a lot of voice as an individual, and so... If you exclude other groups from having a political voice because they have another role, all we're hearing from is politicians. Yeah, and you wonder, like, why? since when is it that, um, you know, simply because... I mean, I heard Billy Bragg talking about this recently, Billy Bragg, a UK musician who many people will know of, um, who's also a very ardent political activist. And, you know, he makes the point that why is it simply because I picked up a guitar and I sing music, do I suddenly... um, you know, lose the right Mm. to have a voice on any other political issue that affects me. Mm. It's a kind of ludicrous position Mm. actually to take and... It's I asking agree. for a one-dimensional person, and I yes. and, and it doesn't exist. It does. It's not true, and so it drives me crazy when I see stick to football <clears throat> because then I want to find that person to go stick to being a fitter and turner. Yeah, you don't get to have an opinion because that's what you do. Like <laughs> exactly. it's ridiculous. It's actually ridiculous. Yeah. And I just want to reiterate that we don't want to trample all over this chat and 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 the current climate because I know that there's a lot of people who listen to this podcast who will be really hurting right now that we are debating yes. what their rights are. It's not okay. Like no. in at, in the first instance, we see you and we hear you and we support you. And we also firmly believe that it's not okay that mm-hmm. that this is taking place. And we love you and we send you strength and light and we hope that football can be a happy place for you to get you through this very, very troubling time.
There was some fake news this week, Lucy. I'm not sure. If it, was it fake news? Well, gastro news. Um, a bit of gastro news. So Tom Stewart was um, leaving Geelong to go on a coffee run and said something about, oh, I'm not feeling well. I've been sent home and started a big gastro scare down at Geelong, which then got picked up by all of the media. And the gastro? <laughs> the story. And it... Later that afternoon, he'd come out and said and clarified that he actually didn't have gastro. He was just doing a coffee run. He was going for the runs, not the run. <laughs> he was doing a the coffee runs. run. Yeah. yeah. But I thought it was interesting that, that that tweet and that clarification had come out and 20 minutes later I was still hearing and Geelong is in lockdown mm. because of gastro <laughs> on all the major... Radio news. I love gastro as a as <laughs> an excuse to get you. Gastro gets you out of any single thing in the whole wide world. Yeah. And I will take you back to my favourite moment in Sex and the City where Miranda <laughs> has read the book, He's Just Not That Into You. She ends a date and she says to the guy, do you want to come back to my place because it's been great? And he says, oh, no, I can't. I've got an early meeting. And she goes, it's all right. I hear you. You're just not that into me. And she pushes the issue a couple of times and he goes, it's not that. I've got explosive diarrhoea <laughs> and he runs away. <laughs> and from that moment, my lesson was if I ever want to get out of anything, I just put a gastro sticker <laughs> on it and people, hands off, they're not interested. Do you say that on a date? Because I've got a poo thing going on. I'm really quite personal about it. Close the door. I'm just personal about it. I don't like talking. So I would never you know say to someone. You're talking about it on the podcast. Yeah, I do. <laughs> Let's talk about my poo. But I would never say to someone, you know what? I can't make that meeting. I've got explosive diarrhea. Oh, I would. <laughs> I would. And and I, I would say it under fake pretenses. Yeah. I Emma, would. she would say it on behalf of you. We'd say like, "Where's Alicia?" And Emma would say, <gasps> "She's." <No. laughs> I'd say she's got gastro and she's left the door open. <laughs> I'm sweaty. Um, hey, one thing that I did see this week is there is a new website that has this amazing, it's called The Player's Voice, and there have been these little articles just, you know, coming through, filtering through, and they are exceptional. It's called Player's Voice, and I'm sure you've all been picking up on it, but um, you've been sending me, like, copious amounts of links from there, Lucy. I you're sure you're have. right on board with this. You know what I'm loving about it is that it's long form and it is real, it's, going, it's emotional, these articles are awesome. So this website, this has been put together and their objective, this, and I'm quoting from them here, is to create a community where sports people can share their thoughts, hopes, dreams and fears. A safe space with no gambling ads, no banner ads and no keyboard warriors. And so what they're looking for is a platform where they can share stories that have an emotional and or an intellectual connection. And so far, I think they're delivering on that promise. So I think there was an article that Alex Fasolo put forward a week or two ago, which was such an interesting exploration of, of his depression and some of his thoughts about that. And this week there was a really interesting piece by Tom Bug where he talked about where he hit Callum Mills and got suspended. And what it does is it gives people the opportunity to, in much more than 140 characters, to actually tell their side of the story or to talk about things in some depth. And I think it's it's kind of the antidote to the one week at a time footy media and I'm loving it. Yeah. So it's playersvoice.com.au or Facebook, Twitter. It sounds so good and I'm so excited, but mm. I want poetry from them. I, oh, I reckon yeah, the next thing. Yeah. You might get it. I know Erin yeah. um, Phillips put out a video, mm. which was awesome, talking about why marriage equality needs to happen in this country and 
I think it's just fantastic. But it also crosses a lot of different sports. It's not just AFL. That's wonderful. It's actually one of those things that feeds into um, podcasting. We get asked a lot, why why this podcast and why now? And I think it's because technology is intersecting with um, opportunity and with what people actually want to be reading Mm. and or talking about. And so it's good to see that they've taken this leap and that that it is long form and no keyboard warriors obviously gives them the protection Mm, that they can actually put out something that's a significant offering that they've not done before. So I think you'll see some amazing articles from that. Now we've got a bit of trade news. It continues to happen. The Jake Stringer st- stuff's been really interesting. He was pretty open, wasn't he, this week? He was really raw and it's really interesting that Bob Murphy said on SEN um, that the frustrations over Jake Stringer had been built on for a couple of years and that uh, there's been a frustration for a couple of years and you know that after a poor year that change can happen. I think he would also acknowledge that there's been a sense of frustration as well. So there's just that thing and I was just feeling for him that all these people are talking and, and using paper space to chat about him as well and also that uh, former Fremantle coach Chris Connolly made the claim that Sydney has cost itself the premiership by trading Tom Mitchell to Hawthorne. So sort of that discussion of, you know what? And it's also like Kurt Tippett being from Adelaide to Swans. People have focused on that being the reason that Sydney Mm -hmm. haven't done so well, not so much the buddy, but Kurt Tippett. But even there's been a lot of discussion about, as, as, you know, Sydney got knocked out and then is Buddy worth it? Yeah. (laughs) You know, to put it all on one person, it's ridiculous. Buddy who just won the Brownlow, won the Coleman medal as well. I mean, yeah, exactly. You you know when players say, I never read any of that. Do you believe them? Yeah, I do. Some. Do you? Yeah, I do. I hope that they block it out. Do you think Vickery would have done better with the Tigers? No. No, no, I don't. I, I feel really sad for Ty Vickery. I really hate the slinging that the goes around. That, yeah, I don't like the heap on. I don't no. think it's necessary. And I wish that he'd had a better year, you know, uh, at mm. the Hawks. And I mean, the VFL Hawks side didn't do so badly. Like it mm. was a pretty successful year, but I just, um, I don't like the heap on at all. And I think people need to lay off or else you'll have to deal with me. But trade is, is, yeah, come see Emma because there's so much going on at the moment. I just feel for the players uh, pre-Brownlow about where they'll be. Good for Ken Hinckley, though. Been signed for three years in your face, Koshy. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, But really interesting. I I feel sorry for the coaches when they, uh, they come under the microscope, so there's no better time for us to speak to a coach. So we wanted to talk coaching success this week, something our guest Lisa Alexander is very familiar with. As head coach of the Australian Netball Diamonds, she's helped secure the team 10 of the 13 World Netball Championships and has her team currently ranked first in the INF World Rankings and current world champions. Lisa, welcome to the Outer Sanctum. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. We really want to pick your brains today about coaching and in I guess one of the, the first questions that we wanted to, to sort of explore was... When you're preparing for a big game like a, a football final this weekend or if you're preparing for a championship, how much time does a coach focus on their own team versus the opposition team? Oh, it's a really good question because um, the balance can actually affect the whole psychology of your team as well. So it's a little bit about whether you have that us versus them approach and an underdog approach or whether you're just going in there as, you know, you are the world number one and you need to, you know, be positive and display all the things about you. 
uh, that you need to do. I think we got both ends of the, the stick really at the last World Champs in 2015 in Sydney because we got a chance to play New Zealand in the rounds and then also in the finals. So many people from the outside thought that we hadn't done enough homework on New Zealand for that first game and they did have a significant change to their lineup. And yes, you can say that, but at the end of the day, you've got to just deal with the data as it is at that time. And at the start of a tournament, which is a little bit like a final series, really, the start of the final series, it's almost like a whole new season again. And I think that's what the coaches in the AFL will be wrestling with as well, is how much do we concentrate on us and how much do we have to nullify the opposition? And it's a fine balance um, because... You don't want to get so negative that you're thinking, oh, we have to stop him and him or her and her, um, that you then forget to do what we call the basics. Yep. And I know that we had a little bit of that in our last series against New Zealand in the uh, in the quad series where we've lost our final match and that's we haven't we haven't done that for a while. And all of a sudden the examination comes out about you know, did we do enough to nullify certain players? Um, we feel we did, but we didn't do what we needed to do. So at this mm -hmm. stage, we're going into a phase of, well, we still need to make sure that we're creating the game plan that we think is going to actually beat New Zealand in Auckland when we get there. And, you know, I'm thinking about Chris Scott and what he had to do in his first uh, game um, against Richmond where they got completely unpicked and undone. And then to turn that around in one week is wonderful. Um, I probably had a little bit less time than yep. he did, but it is possible to do it. And he's got a great relationship with his group and his leaders to do that. And to have those little changes, those just, you know, very subtle changes, don't danger feel going to the forward line, it makes a statement about, well, we're really confident in this game plan. And so it leads into the whole psychology of the group as well, that we've got this plan, we're really all committed to it, and you have to beat us. And yep. we're bringing that um, sense of positive psychology to that match. The cliche always is you're only as strong as your weakest link. Is the weakest link ever a player? Is it ever a position? How do you look at that and how do you change a weak link? Well, you're always striving to have your strongest 12 for us in netball or 10 in the, the super netball and in footy it'll be the 22 and then it'll be the reserves around that. And I know that um, much attention is always placed on that in grand finals. If you if you read the assessments of the grand finals and you read everyone gives their you know their ratings for the, each player and it's quite interesting how people write those things up when they don't know what actually the coach has <laughs> set that player to do. Um, but it tells the story that really your what you would call your bottom six performing makes all the difference in those key games. And I was even thinking about it when I watched the football channel last night on a certain pay TV show um, uh, channel. Um, it was about Adelaide and that pesky Shane Allen that just cropped up in that final who put in just those uh, five goals. That can make all the difference in those sorts of games, which are different to our normal to season games. games. Lisa, clearly you're a, a huge fan of all sport. Now that you're a coach at the elite level, are you able to watch sport like football 
as a fan or are you always watching now with a coaching brain on? It's a really good question. I I probably watch it more from a coaching point of view now because I am coaching and it is my profession. Probably, you know, 10 years ago, I would I would be watching and barracking for my team and particularly just local football, I would be barracking and not necessarily analysing as a coach. And <laughs> I was, it was quite funny in Lee and Gaffer days when I was uh, living there, you would actually hear me on the sidelines sometimes. So I love to use my voice <laughs> a bit. I've had to actually pull that back a bit now going to Hawthorne games because, and actually go a little bit more incognito because the good thing about, you know, at netball um, rising in the public's publicity stakes is that people know me now. And so I've got to be very careful at the football because I still like that sense of release that I get from watching sport and that I really enjoy AFL and have done since I was a bald headed baby. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I still watch it and think, what sort of things did I learn from that? How did the team, how did they perform in that first quarter? I wonder what their warm-up was like. Uh, I wonder what the coaches said to them. I observe lots of things around the game that helps me with um, improving my coaching of the Diamonds. I heard that you grew up in a Sainters family and that you were going to be called Daryl Baldock Clark. Any truth to that? That is absolutely true. So I would be Daryl right now if if I was a boy. And I was really lucky um, to be influenced in a very positive way as a young person. Um, Glenn Elliott at the time was boarding with us in Cheltenham. And he was, um, you know, he was a very, very good footballer. He did win a Kazali Award back in the day. And I got to take that to school. So that was a big deal. But you know, he was um, a real role model for me about how he went about his training because, you know, he was always going off for a run and a very fit uh, person and he was studying at university at the same time, hence, you know, why he was boarding with us. And my father was involved with the social committee at St Kilda, so I sort of knew all the the social side of things quite well in the background as I grew up in dear old Cheltenham. Wow. We've seen a lot of... Um commentary around the different training camps and the other sports that you get involved in, in terms of developing yourself as a coach. I've seen you involved heavily with rugby and especially like recently on the selection committee for a new coach in the rugby league. Do other sports reach out to netball? Do they come to you and, and learn from you as well? Yes, we do. We have a number of coaches that come and watch our sessions. And, um, you know, I think it's really important that you open up your environment to coaches as well as them allowing you to come into their environment. And I guess because I'm the Australian netball coach, I'm quite neutral. So lots of the AFL clubs don't mind me coming into them. I've been into Carlton this year um, with Brendan Bolton and Neil Craig, and I really enjoyed that experience, particularly watching Brendan um, do a a presentation session with the players. Like I just wanted to go out and play as soon as he (laughs) spoke to them. He was so motivating and so passionate, Uh, just a wonderful communicator and, but still a person that knows that he's only just starting on his coaching journey and he's really keen to learn a lot. So just sitting down with him, you know, I, I guess sharing my wisdom with him of experience that I've had in high performance sport over the past 25 years is really important. It's usually about people management. That's what the job's about. It's about communication and getting the, the message across and how you do that in a team environment is very complex. Mm. Um, and you have to have your whole staff 
doing the same things too, giving those same messages and and really working towards uh, a process that you work work in of of high performance, which is what Neil Craig is very passionate about as well. Yeah, coaching is such a professional pathway now that the old criticism we used to hear of how can you be a elite coach if you haven't played the sport at the elite level. What do you make of those sorts of comments? Well, I think what I look at is, you know, do you have to be a horse to be a jockey? Um, you know, do you have to be a horse to be a trainer? They're, it's 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 kind of silly, really, at the end of the day. Coaching is very different to playing. What I think playing brings you, though, is a great sense of understanding of what the athletes are going through, um, particularly around the Australian team. I didn't actually play for the Australian team, but my two assistant coaches did. And so they've just got that piece of wise um, background and experience and knowledge that they can pass on to our athletes that, you know, it just might make the difference. And they understand exactly the sorts of mental processes those players are going through to play a world championship. So to have someone who's a three-time world champion as my assistant coach in the goaling area, Margie Keldo, who's, you know, in her mature years, which I'm really proud of the fact that we have somebody who's in her mature years and isn't seen as irrelevant or not good at coaching. I reckon that's a really great role model for everyone. And then Rosalie Jenke, who, another Hawthorne Mm, supporter, um, (laughs) sister of Ray, Mm -hmm. and um, she also brings her knowledge and experience to that coaching environment from her experiences with the Australian team when they, you know, she got put on in the last quarter against New Zealand in 1991 and took the intercept that really counted at the end of the day. So she, you really understand, she understands what that is like um, from a holistic point of view. And if that can get across to one of our players to inspire, to assist them to get to that next level, then I'm all for that. How do you plan for something like the Commonwealth Games? How do you even start? Oh, look, I guess I've I've been fortunate as a coach to get great experiences in my own country with coaching our um, Victorian teams in tournaments. So we've I've coached tournaments for a long time. And so I feel quite comfortable about how you go about that process. Yes, it's very intense. Yes, there's a very quick turnaround. But I understand, I guess, from that experience, how to pace the week how we need to, you know, experiment a little bit at the start of the week with our combinations and getting that right flow together as a group and finally getting our best performance happening at the end of the week. That's that's the whole, I guess, magic that comes out with that, you know, coaching experience but also reading what your team's about, knowing what the opposition are going to bring you and kind of trying to be responsible for that, not kind of, but being responsible for the psychological um, space that the, the team are in and the, and the support staff as well. Lisa, with um, football teams and football clubs, we often see that they have a leadership group. Um, they obviously have a huge pool of players to choose from. When you're in the netball environment, obviously the squads are a lot smaller. Do you, do you have a similar structure or do you really rely heavily on a captain and a vice captain to, to play those roles? Yeah, we've had um, a leading teams approach basically since 2012 when Ray McLean came on board. I've always been a great admirer of Ray and at the time also Sally, his um, dear wife at that time, she's sadly passed away since then, is a top netball coach and has been for many years as well. 
And I think he had a real connection with the netball. And when I asked him to come on board, and I'd seen his work in St Kilda and when he first started, um, I was really keen to get him on board to assist us to change the culture of the Diamonds because it was a... Uh, to be honest with you, not a welcoming environment. And what we wanted to create was a high-performance environment. So we knew we needed to concentrate on not just the mechanics of that, but the dynamics of that. Mm-hmm. And Ray is a superb facilitator. I just, I'm just, i just amazed. Every time I sit down and watch him taking a session with the Diamonds, I just go, this, you know, he's just so good at it. And I really wanted Ray. And he's worked with us since then. So we go through the process of a, a vote. Uh, that's done in front of everyone. Um, it's a three-two-one vote. It's very transparent, and basically, Netball Australia support what the players um, vote for in that setting. We obviously talk to them about a few organisational things, but at the end of the day, it's a, it's a recognition that the players understand and know what they need in their leaders, mm-hmm. and myself as a coach trusts the playing group to choose those right leaders, and they haven't. They haven't let me down so far. At the moment, we've got a leadership group of four. Um, but because um, Shani Layton is out having a leave of absence at the moment and uh, Maddie's been omitted from this particular team, we'll only have the two leaders. And so I work very closely with them in this period leading up to our series against New Zealand in getting them their headspace right for what they need to do as leaders and communicating with each each other about you know the temperature of the team how they're going how training's going are there any issues that are happening in the background that I need to know about so we work as a team to create that environment for success besides an inspiring and tactical advice that you give your players I just want to know do you tell them some jokes how's the levity uh Oh, I think you'll understand if you if you got into the inner sanctum is funny I actually asked um, my physio this morning because I'm doing a a business lunch with Hawthorne tomorrow and they're going to ask me about what I think consider are the most important things of a leader and one of the things she did say is well you know you're really good at air, air guitar and playing to ACDC <laughs> and you know I'll, I, I will be normal and I will have some funny jokes with the players from time to time and I think that's really important that they see that I'm human and that I interact on a, a normal basis um, you know I've got kids I've got a partner I've got things off off court that I have to deal with just the same as them and I think they find great comfort in that, that I can still manage that side of things and have a sense of humour but still when it's business, it's business. So coming into the AFL finals, um, obviously a sense of uh, levity is probably important for some of those coaches as well. What would be the advice you would give to them for, for the next two weeks? Yeah, I think what what I've always tried to advise coaches about in the past, and I, I can think back to when I was an assistant coach with Jane Woodlands-Thompson and talking about a final series, is that you need your headspace as the head coach to be able to uh, enjoy the experience, I think, as well, because it is very different and there's lots of extra uh, commitments that you have to go through. So because of those extra commitments and that extra emotional energy that you're expending, you need to make sure that you're also recovering. Um, and that might mean just an extra night at home, just a normal family dinner, all of those sorts of little things will add up to a cumulative effect on the day that you actually have to coach. So one of the big important things I say to the coaches is just make sure your sleep's under control because... It might seem funny, but I want my pilot that's piloting my 
aeroplane who's in charge of that one, I want to make sure that he or she has had a really good night's sleep. And I expect my head coach to also be able to make those right decisions when it matters in a grand final. So sleep and that sort of thing and the healthy recovery is very important. You know, there's a lot of listeners out there sending primrose oil to their coaches right now. They go, um, we always ask about relationship with footy, but what's your joy with sport? What's your joy at the moment with football? Oh, look, I think I just love um, actually to see the progression in the athleticism of the players and the fact that their skill level has just risen another notch again. Um, I mean, I particularly love my own team, Hawthorne, with regard to that. And I love watching their ability to kick. I mean, we pass with our hands, so it's a different skill, but I just admire so much their ability to kick that ball accurately to time their attacking lead so that ball flows down the field and just, you know, the intensity of effort that's out there. Watching Richmond, when I got to watch them this year, I was just blown away with their level of intensity and their forward defensive pressure. And it's very, you know, it's something that I also want to create with the Diamonds with our attack end as well, is that real, it's almost a manic desire to to turn that ball over again and get another opportunity for goal. And, you know, Richmond are doing that so well this year. I saw Hawthorne do this so beautifully. I remember in 214 um, in that grand final, it was like a heavenly day watching them and how intense they were that day. So... Uh, Look, I don't know if Richmond are going to be able to repeat that. They certainly did against Geelong. Um, There's no reason why they can't do it. So, you know, all the naysayers and all the the things about whether it's going to happen again, it's up to them to make that decision themselves individually and as a team to really commit to what Damien and the coaches have been setting out for them. It's such exciting times and I'm sure that you've got people like Damien Hardwick in your thoughts at the moment. Lisa, thank you so much for coming in to join us and to give us a bit of an insight into, uh, I guess, how you look at coaching, but also how much cross-code love there is for people at that elite level. Yeah, there certainly is. And I feel for the coaches often when they're going through hard times. I know how difficult that is, how emotional it can be and how hard it is on the partners too and the families. The families behind the coaches they are the ones that have to make the sacrifices and kind of create an environment at home that's going to be conducive to the coach doing well. And I know that all of um, you know the wives at this time that are backing up their their husbands that are coaches. Well, you know they know that they've got a job to do as well. Do you swear? Yes, I do. That's all I need to know. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thanks for coming in. Thank you. Okay, new stadium watch. I know we love stadium watch. There was a press release that we got actually about Perth Stadium. Yeah, it's interesting. So they're developing the new stadium in Perth and uh, what has been said is that the women's team in Perth is going to christen that stadium. It's not entirely clear yet who they will play, but in early February, the first ever event, there will be uh, an AFLW game. So um, for people in Perth, that looks like it'll be an absolute cracker. Those women will get to take the glad wrap off the toilet seats. (laughs) Yes. 
How fantastic oh. will that be? More, more toilet stories. <laughs> Sorry, more toilets. Hey, um, uh, one thing I was going to say about WA is did you know that Kings Park, which is absolutely beautiful Love and it. really the jewel in the crown of Perth, was the home to the Wajak tribe who conducted sacred ceremonies there. And if you are going for a walk through Kings Park, there are heaps of sacred Indigenous sites within the park that you can check out. So if you are walking around there, make sure you take a little moment to stop and read all of the history of the park and things that went on there a long time before we came to play football. Yeah, a long time. Um, One thing I did enjoy watching this week was one of our pod fellows from the Dad and Mog um, pod, pod, Dad and Mog pod, um, (laughs) that, well, Dad, who it's so embarrassing when I see him because his name's John. I always call him Dad. (laughs) That's okay. You know, I think he's younger than you. It's so awkward. As long as it's not Daddy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh, that would be so bad. Um, So he also has, he has Mog, who's his daughter, but he also has a son called Richmond and they have been getting so much media attention this week. And I think about that moment, little tiny Richmond was born and they said, we've had a baby boy, we've called him Richmond and all his friends went, oh, you're setting that kid up for a life of disappointment. (laughs) And here he is at six years old. He's on every TV in the country, on every program. He had a, you know, major spread in the age (laughs) and all of a sudden it's coming home to roost. It's a great name, Rich. It's great. Yeah, it's a fantastic name. So shout out to them. Um, They will obviously be at the Richmond game. But if you're not going to the Richmond game, Felicity. Well, there's two games on and not everyone's going to get tickets. So if your you're, house? yeah, come to me. <laughs> um, I was going to mention that I think for the Friday night game, Geelong has their social club open with two massive screens and tens of thousands of people oh, squishing so in there to fun. watch it. Yeah. You know, if you can't get to the game, get with your supporters. But I also noticed in Richmond, more than one pub now has painted a lovely big stripe onto the front of their building. So find a pub if you can't get to the, the Richmond final, though, go see the VFL team because mm. they're in the grand final on Sunday. So it would actually be the best day out Sunday. You can go to Dockland Stadium. 12 o'clock it starts with the women's grand final. Um, so Diamond Creek taking on Darabin. So a huge number of our AFLW friends and uh, superstars will be playing there followed by the VFL Grand Final, which is between Port Melbourne and Richmond. And then at 7.35 that night, stay around for the TAC Cup where the Geelong Falcons are playing the Sandy Dragons. I think all of those games are being um, streamed or played on Channel 7. That's And nationally, there are so many Grand Finals going on this weekend. Mm. It's just insane. And you can look that up online where every <coughs> Grand Final is being played. Have you guys got tips for the Brownlow? I mean, I think Dusty will win it, but I really want Tom Mitchell to get a whole heap of votes, <laughs> Me like too. so many votes that it gets embarrassing. <laughs> I think Dusty will win, and I hope he wins. It yeah. would be fabulous. It's hard to get past Dusty. Plus, I've, I've seen you guys put a challenge out to um, Peggy about we have. if Dusty wins, <laughs> she's off to get a neck tap. She I think. is. Look, what I can say, this, this is a little bit of a spoiler alert. We've put together a video again this week. We've been doing it in the last few weeks. And um, in the video that we're releasing alongside this podcast, Emma and I did go and meet with Peggy O'Neill at Richmond. Uh, We had a magic eight ball with us. We had a few questions to ask the almighty oracle, the magic eight ball. One of them was about who would win the Brownlow. So you have to have a look at that video (laughs) to see who does. My kids do the magic eight ball for homework. Should I do it or not? (laughs) All will be revealed later. That doesn't make sense. I'm going for Marcus Bontempelli just because of his name. But um, it's interesting that you 
with your outside voice, Emma, you said about Tom Mitchell because, I mean, we're not biased here at all, are we? <laughs> not at all. No. I just like people called Tom. <laughs> I like people called Mitchell. <laughs> <laughs> he just got so many possessions. Yeah. It's kind of crazy. It's hard to look past. Yeah, it really is. Hey, I just, before we go, this is part of my final business, I was lucky enough to go along and see Chats 10 Looks 3, which is another <gasps> podcast that I absolutely adore um, with Annabelle Crabbe and Lee Sales, and they were generous enough to do a little meet and greet for personal reasons with me and some of my homies. And what really made me laugh is Lucy Race was with me at this meet and greet and we were meeting Lee and Annabelle at 7.30. Now, you know the joke when you go, I've got to go to the dentist, what time? 2.30. So that's dentist time. Lucy looked at me and she said, oh, that's funny. We're meeting Lee at 7.30. That's Lee sales time. And it took me a moment till I realised what she was what she was throwing, and when I finally caught it, it's been giving me repeat giggles. Seven thirty is Lee Sales time, so I thought, you know, in honour of Lee Sales, when someone asks you what's the time or where well, you have to be somewhere at seven thirty, Lee Sales time. Can we get that going? Like it, absolutely. Yeah, love it. I think people would like that. Um, so send us any photos that you see of houses. Once we know who's in the granny, I want to be inundated on Insta and Twitter and Facebook with photos from your neighbourhood of house people, painters, house painters, balloons, um, cars decorated, bunting, 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 pubs, businesses, whatever, what have you, send it to us and we will post it because I love that stuff. Yes. I really love it. Especially if you're interstate. Find a bandwagon, yeah. get on it. <laughs> exactly. Is there any more final business, Katie? Yeah, I just wanted to give a little shout out on a more serious note, actually. Um, we learned during the week or the, um, a week or so ago that one of our very regular listeners, Clara Jordan Baird, listener to this podcast, had passed away. She was only 28. Um, and uh, we wanted to thank people who reached out to us, particularly a friend of hers named Will, for sharing her story. We understand that she came to love footy only over the last year and got to see the Western Bulldogs win the premiership last year. So it's a really sad story, but also a beautiful one about the capacity of sport to really bring people together and touch them. So we wanted to give a little shout out to Clara, her family and her friends and wish them all the very best. They're in our thoughts. Beautifully said, Katie. We will speak to you all again next week. Have a great weekend and use football to be your joy and let it take you all the magical places it can take you. Go footy. Go tight. Go finals. Yes. <laughs>